0: The Holy Gospel according to John, the third chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. Now there was a Pharisee named Nicodemus, a leader of the Jewish people. He came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do apart from the presence of God. Jesus answered him, Very truly, I tell you, no one can see the dominion of God without being born from above. Nicodemus said to Jesus, How can anyone be born after having grown old? Can one enter a second time into the mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the dominion of God without being born of water and spirit. What is born of the flesh is flesh, And just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world in this way, that God gave the Son, the only begotten one, so that everyone who believes in him may not perish but have eternal life. Indeed, God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Please be seated. Grace, greetings, and peace, dear sisters and brothers. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. The faith of our forebears. Not just forebears like Martin Luther, who lived in the 16th, 15th and 16th century, but also forebears of our faith that come from much longer ago. Forebears like Abraham, Moses, all of the prophets, the disciples of Jesus, women and men of faith who have passed on to us something so sacred, something so holy. Even those who might not have been considered forebears of the faith, like Nicodemus in this story today. It's easy to come in and have skepticism at Nicodemus' questioning of Jesus. But if we pause and truly reflect on what his motivation is for coming to Jesus, we can understand that he's come not out of fear, but out of faith. It's ultimately what question I was asking myself when reflecting on this gospel passage this week from John. Yes, of course, I was thinking about this well-known verse that we all probably memorized from an early age, John 3.16, but the role of Nicodemus in this story is often glossed over, missed completely. I was asking myself, what is your angle here, Nicodemus? You've come to Jesus in the cover of night, not in the light of day when everybody would have seen where he was going and assumed what he was doing. What are you trying to accomplish, Nicodemus? If I had one chance to ask one question of one character from our gospel reading, this would be it. Yes, I would pass up the chance to ask Jesus a question, because it seems that Jesus is being very open and honest in this encounter. One can't help feel a bit curious about why this educated man, this leader of the Jewish community Nicodemus comes to Jesus with a potentially incriminating statement. Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do apart from the presence of God. I mean he is educated, right? This means that he wouldn't approach Jesus in a naive way with a statement that seems only certain people would know anyway. It's as if the statement is supposed to lead Jesus to a confession, a confession that would implicate him and send him to trial for heresy. Despite this encounter, that is where Jesus was led anyway. But instead of Nicodemus controlling the conversation, Jesus takes control and responds to Nicodemus' statement as if it were a question. What if it were a question? Would that have made Nicodemus' approach and curiosity about Jesus all the more vulnerable, all the more genuine, all the more honest? The point that Nicodemus seems to be missing is made quite clear by the Apostle Paul in his letter to the Romans. For the promise that he would inherit the world did not come to Abraham or to his descendants through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. Promises are the key to righteousness, not the law or what we do in response to them. And Jesus' response to Nicodemus' bewilderment doesn't really sound like promises. In fact, Nicodemus is likely hearing Jesus' words as law and trying to make sense of them in that way. Even though, in truth, they are promises of God's love eternal. But this is understandable from Nicodemus' perspective. He is a devout Jewish person, leader in the church who has devoted himself to studying and adhering to the laws, the commandments, the cornerstone of his faith. But what Jesus has come to say to Nicodemus and to all of us, dear friends, is that there is no other way to the end of the promises God has for us and through faith. Not by any works or actions that we take, anything that we do or don't do that the law requires of us. We will fail at following the laws of our God. But our God will not fail in the promise of God's love for us through our faith. If we rely only on the laws to guide us, the laws of the Old Testament and the New, then we work very hard to follow them, expecting an outcome due to us for following them, like Paul describes. But if we also rely on the promises made to us through God through baptism at the font with that water, then we are gifted with a unique tool to guide us through this life faith not something that we can even conjure up on our own or muster the strength to find, but the Holy Spirit that reaches out and touches us in the waters of those... Ba- of the, the water of our baptism in that font gives us the faith, gives us the strength that we need to live out that faith. But even devout, law-abiding Jews like Nicodemus can be misled by the purpose of the law. The law is also a gift from God, just as faith is. The law is supposed to guide us in this life, empower us to live well so that we can serve the other. To understand the law as much a gift as promise is, is both a Jewish and Christian understanding. The idea is fairly simple. Let's say that I make a promise to you all today. I promise that there will be an end to this sermon. Now, there is no law that prescribes that my sermon ever has to end. Any official law, anyway. Just the laws that you've created in your mind, hoping that there'll be an end to my speaking. But you have to have faith in my promise that this sermon will end. That may be harder to do than it is to say. But Paul shares and an understood an, an important idea that is perhaps similar to Nicodemus' story. Both of them, Paul and Nicodemus, experienced a life as an educated Jewish leader who likely had the responsibility for exposing heretics and punishing them. If they had crossed paths, some at some point something tells me they would have found kindred spirits in each other, and been able to understand a little bit better their role in passing on the faith to the generations that would follow. But this idea that one's works being the recipe for righteousness is not new or even resolved in our readings. It's been something that Christians have argued about for centuries. And this is why Paul is writing to this early Christian community in Rome. There is nothing about God's righteousness or our reception of it that can come by what we do in this world. Because when we work, when we do things in this world, it is assumed that we are owed something in return. But God's righteousness is a gift without any strings attached. One that should bring us joy and gratitude, which in turn moves us to be grateful participants in God's work in the world. Abraham understood this. When he was aging beyond the normal years of fathering children, God came through on a promise because of Abraham's faith. Not faith that he could could create or muster himself, but one that he relied on God's Spirit To grow in him and to lead him to the end of God's promise. Generations that would follow in his stead. Paul understood it as well. Granted, it took him time to realize that God was calling him to a promise greater than the life that his Jewish laws commanded him. And of course, Jesus, the ultimate witness, the son of God, understood this too. And lived a life and served in a ministry devoted to helping others see this beautiful reality as well. To understand and to believe in a love that breaks through our sinful flesh. So that we can live into the spirit within us. Why is it so hard for Nicodemus and often for us to let our spirit shine. Why is it more difficult to have faith in a promise than to follow Allah? This is the dilemma we face for much of our lives. So perhaps we can relate to Nicodemus, somebody we maybe stood in judgment of when we heard this passage, or at least when I began this sermon. Laws are often very explicit and leave little uncertainty about what will happen if we do not follow them. We spend a great deal of our lives learning these laws that govern and guide our society because we know that we will be rewarded with something tangible if we can just follow them. But what if we invested just as much effort and energy in believing the promises we haven't seen the end of yet? As challenging as it can be, as harder as it can be to perceive. Promises require faith, which can make us feel extremely vulnerable. As vulnerable as a prominent Jewish leader coming under the darkness of night, out of curiosity, out of faith, to understand Jesus' role as the Messiah, the saving one of God. How do we go about living our lives according to the spirit we've been gifted rather than letting the law of the flesh rule in our hearts? It's a difficult question, but really an important one to consider, especially in this season of Lent, this season of fasting, where we journey toward the celebration of Easter and the end of our suffering of the flesh, the end of our suffering of sin. But even after those 40 days ends and we move beyond Easter, we will return to this question over and over again. How do we let our spirit shine? The promises of the love of God through the spirit we have been given. We have been gifted. Rather than the law that holds so much sway over our hearts. But none of us are called to dwell in this question alone. That is why we gather here in community as people of faith, as people clinging to the promises God made so many generations before. Together, we experience the overwhelming love and forgiveness from God when we remember our baptism and thus are made righteous in spite of our flesh. Nine years ago, my wife and I, Anna, chose the personal discipline of remembering our baptism every day throughout the 40 day journey in Lent. That was here in Bratislava, as many of you know, when I was here as the intern. And many of those days, we just went down to the Danube, a place where we could touch the water and make the sign of the cross on our forehead and remember God's love, God's promise of love eternal. Because water is a necessary part of everyday life for all of us. It is both simple and profound in how it serves the world to live in this life, but also to remember the promises that our God has made for us when we simply and routinely splash our face with water or wash our hands or step in a puddle or jump in a lake, we remember the verse of our gospel. For God so loved the world that God gave God's only son, that everyone who believes in him may not perish but have eternal life. God sending Jesus was not a way of establishing just another law for us to worry about and to fail at, but rather to fulfill the law with the promise of God's love that will never fail you or me or anyone in this world. Let us reflect in this Lenten journey about what it means to live out the spirit of God, the spirit of love, that is deeply seated within each and every one of us in this church and with everyone around the world. Amen.